You're listening to the Creatives Photography Podcast, an adventure into all things photography related. Here is your host, Kevin Pack. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Uh, once again, I am joined by Dimitri while we take a short look on the photographic news that came out during the last month. So January 2021's news. So hi, Dimitri. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Uh, another Sunday, another lockdown, but... Uh... <laughs> okay, okay, right. Uh, this won't be broadcast on a Sunday. Well, morning, no, but, but uh, uh, yeah, it's the weekend for, for those of us that have weekends at the is- moment, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what can you do on a cold winter lockdown weekend apart from sit here and chat about photography rather than getting out there taking pictures of our cameras? Yeah, well, uh, actually today's not too bad looking out the window. There's a bit of blue sky, um, so it would be an ideal day yeah. to get out and about um, and do some landscapes yeah. if nothing, if we can't even interact with people. But uh, given oh, we're stuck I'm at home at landscape photography. Um, and not allowed to travel too far, so yeah, kind of negates that. Yeah. Right, well, let's start off the show today by talking about new camera announcements. And to be honest, uh, there's not been a huge amount, just a little bit from Sony and Fuji. Um, So we'll start with that. The first one was Sony announcing their new Alpha One camera. Um, It's a new high-resolution 50.1 megapixel model offering 30 frames per second blackout-free shooting with autofocus that is double the speed of the A92, so it says. Uh, (laughs) And for video, it's got 8K at 30 um, and 10-bit 420. It's a bit of a beast. Um, It's definitely their top-of-the-range camera, and it's got their top-of-the-range price on it as well. uh, Well, in the UK, £6,499, which is what Wex have it listed for at the moment. Um, what do you reckon? That's not a great exchange rate because it's six and a half thousand dollars. So, <laughs> well, to be honest, with camera gear these days, I think that's what we tend to see now, isn't it? But whatever the dollar price is, that's what we're we're seeing on the um, um, pound rate. As well, well, that's it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it it, it it's good. <laughs> well, for six and a half thousand pounds, I, I would expect it has it has to be. I mean. Sony's not really something I've kind of looked at so much and, and really shot with, so it's got a good reputation. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of uh, vloggers use them, and um, obviously it's taken over a lot of the the people migrating from Canon, Nikon, traditional DSLR over to mirrorless. So Yeah, I think, well, we're going to talk about it a bit later, but Canon have actually been doing quite well with their R5 camera. Uh, a bit better than they thought they were going to do, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So this looks like, you know, this is, you know, Sony uh, saying, uh, hang on, don't forget we're here too. You know, we've got... Uh, but, but I think in the past, they've, they've released cameras which have been either high frame rates or high resolution or um, lower resolution but more suitable for filming. Um, and this does seem to be a case of wrapping up their more... Uh, specialist niche cameras all into one body that can pretty much do it all um, that, that's the way I see it yeah I mean I? I think Sony have got some fantastic cameras that are very good 
at certain things. But yeah. in terms of picking up one camera to do a wide variety of tasks, this is probably what they've been lacking and what what they've what they've addressed with this camera. Um, yeah. I think the challenge yeah. they've got is obviously the price tag at the end of the day. Um, you know, at six and a half thousand pounds dollars, it is an expensive camera, and obviously then on top of that, you're going to have to buy the lenses to use with it. So I don't know. I don't know how many how much volume they intend to to sell of these, or how much of a progression people are going to take from the other markets to this. Uh, I don't see it selling high volume at this price tag. No, but when you look at it, you know the Canon EOS One DX Mark III is exactly the same price. So I think that's the sort of segment they're they're aiming it at. The, the Canon EOS One DX Mark III is also listed body only on Wex at six thousand four hundred ninety nine pound. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Sony have priced this at exactly the same level. Yeah, I mean. Uh, the, yeah, so the you know body only perhaps the challenge they've got is people migrating over from you know I, I don't know what the price of a Nikon um, D one uh, D four is their equivalent of the top end. It's probably about the same price, but obviously with the, with Canon and Nikon, you've already got the lenses to some extent. Um, so buying the body at six and a half grand is okay, perhaps, but then when you start adding on the lenses that you need to purchase on top of that it becomes an expensive package um well yeah i assume if, if you're moving from canon or nikon yeah. into this but this could be you know looking at those sony shooters which have bought you know a uh, um something like a you know uh i've forgotten what the kind of they're called now. uh what the a7 the a9 <laughs> a7 r4 yeah, the A7, A7R4 or the A792 or whatever, A79, A92, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I think, you know, this could be saying, you know, this is basically um, Canon have got their top of the line camera. Now Sony are saying, yes, we filled in that slot in our lineup as well, you know, um, just for people on their, uh, now who are on their um side with their kit you know have got something they can upgrade to if they wanted to at a later date well, i think a lot of people that have bought the a7 the a9 have bought it for a specific purpose whether that be Sorry. whether that be yeah. blogging or um or because it suits their needs whatever the, ch- the challenge will be are those the people that want to spend six and a half grand on a camera you know yeah but then i also know people which have gone they've got something like the uh a7s3 for their video work but then they've got something like the a7r4 for their photography work you know um so they're buying you know more than one body for different things whereas this pretty much can do you know a whole lot so uh you know well it, it's it's you know i don't think the price is wrong i think the price is where it should be in the market uh, yeah i mean if you compare it to the games the other um the other competitors that they have in in Nikon and Canon, yes, it's probably priced the right ballpark. Whether it'll entice enough people to purchase it, I think, is is the challenge for Sony. Um, yeah. It's not that I think the okay. price is wrong. I just I wonder if it's if they're full, filling a hole that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's. Um, it, we'll I mean, time see, will tell. Because you know, we're talking about 
Oh yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk about uh, camera sales in December a bit later. Uh, but before we get that, there were some people saying that the timing of their announcement for the Sony Alpha 1 um, was probably because uh, Fujifilm had announced they were going to be sending out press releases for new cameras and Sony wanted to get in there first. So they released their press release, I think a day or two before uh, before Fuji did. So, um, you know, their big news uh, for a camera which is actually slightly cheaper than the Sony A1 is their GFX 100S, um, which is, well, I think Fuji call it a large format. It's not a large format. It's not really medium format. It's bigger than full format. It's bigger than 35mm. Um, and it's using their 100 uh, megapixel uh, sensor that they had in the Fuji GFX 100, um, which I think was released about 20 months ago. So, But in a much smaller body and with some other um, um, savings made to it, which has reduced the price significantly. So this is coming in at... Um, £5,499 so you know it's uh, a £1,000 cheaper than the uh, A1 for uh, a much larger sensor processor it's not comparable you know it's this is a medium format it's not super fast taking pictures uh, let's see the description what have we got here it's um, uh, sensor is 1.7 times the size of 35mm full frame uh, it delivers smooth 4K 30p videos, so not the 8K you're getting with the Sony. Um, a compact and rugged design. Uses the advanced GFX uh, lenses. Camera body weighs in at just 900 grams, which is remarkably light for a larger than 35mm camera. And it has six-stop, five-axis in-body image stabilization built in as well. So, you know... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's a good camera. It's not something I'll be buying because I have no need for shooting 100 megapixels. Uh, I can't even imagine what the file size is going to be like um, and how push, much pushing that's going to give my computer to try and edit those. Uh, and the price at 5499 is 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 cheap for what I get, you're getting, I reckon. But it's still, still a lot of money. What I have read is a lot of people on the... Um, some of the forums and in the Facebook groups complaining that it's devalued the GFX 100s they bought a little while ago. But in my opinion, a camera's not an investment. A camera you're buying to do your task. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you reckon then, Dimitri? I mean, the same could be said for any new model coming out. You know, every... It could be, but I think the thing with uh, Sony and Nikon and um, Canon is that the Fujis tend to lose their value more. They don't have such a high second-hand uh, value assigned to them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that comes down to who's buying them and why they're buying them. Um, mm. uh, you know, a lot of people have bought Fuji. Do they tend to keep them and then break them and then buy new ones? There's not such a, such a need for a second-hand market or... Are they at such a price point that it makes no sense to buy a second-hand camera from Fuji? I, I, yeah, that, that to me makes you know is where I think we are with Fuji cameras. You know, they're uh, they're very reasonably priced. So even you know this, it, it, you know, five thousand four hundred ninety-nine is you know, and this is their flagship model. The same way that we've just looked at Sony's flagship model, it's not looking at the same market. But um, 
you know, if you compare this to um, other large, larger sensor cameras, five four nine nine is quite cheap. Um, well, just looking at the comparison against a Hasselblad X1D um, in US dollars, the Fuji GFX100S is five nine nine, so just shy of six k. The Hasselblad's five seven fifty. Okay, it's, it, but that's an old. Um, yeah, I know, and it, so it's two hundred and fifty quid cheaper, but it doesn't. It's only you know half the megapixel count. Well, <laughs> it's fifty yeah. to one hundred. You, you should be comparing. Yeah, yeah, that's closer to the GFX fifty R. Yeah, but if you look at, I mean, but but in terms of what you're getting, if you're talking Hasselblad with a really old spec and you're talking six grand versus a Fujifilm for six grand with a, a pretty high end spec in comparison, that's where you can see. Um, that they're, I won't say undercutting the competition, but they're adding considerable value for money. Um, well, I think especially if you compare it to, like I said, the GFX 100, which I think, like I said, was about 20 months ago came out, and that was, well, it's still selling for just uh, £10,000. Yeah, so that's showing up at 10k so they- um, on the comparison in terms of, you know, the viewfinder resolution's better on the GFX 100. Um, the battery is, life's yeah. better, and it, and it took. Uh, it is, yeah. That, that's the two things they've cut down. Really, is the uh, the uh, viewfinder and the fact that it can only take one battery, not the two that you used to have in the GFX 100, and the battery capacity is not uh, such high capacity batteries either. Um, so you would need to carry a couple of spare batteries in your pocket, like you do with most Fuji mirrorless but cameras. But then again, you, you know, you know you've <clears> dropped the weight from 900, uh, well, from 1.3 kilos down to 900 grams. Would I? It is supposed to be a, a, a lot more usable in the hand. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, for me, would I rather carry you know four or five extra batteries or have the weight in the camera? For me, I think mm, given the whole point yeah. to these mirrorless compact designs is to get size to be a manageable size. I think a lot of a lot of compact cameras are too small and lose the mm. the handleability that you you get. Um, with a sort of DSLR or the slightly bigger models, but I think the big thing is the weight. You know, being able to lose, yeah. you know, 500 grams perhaps, and, and and the weight of a battery, and carrying a couple of spare batteries that you don't need to hold in your hand, I think is a good advantage. And yeah, I, I think it looks like a fantastic camera. Um, if I had the money, this is probably what I would go for. I don't need the shutter speed and all the fancy video features for what uh, I shoot. You know, not in the studio or not even doing portraiture out on location. Um, but something like this, you know, is it looks very nice. I think the one thing that's... Um, but you've got to also build in the fact that the lenses aren't the cheapest lenses either once you start getting to this size either. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's probably... Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd want something probably with a bit higher frame rate um and I, the other thing i guess is the choice of lenses that you've got you've probably got a narrower uh more prime orientated at the lower end of the distance so for me shooting sports or um something like that i'd be wanting a higher frame rate and being able to perhaps push two three hundred four hundred mil plus lenses onto it well, let's talk about the other camera which they announced because that is more in our sort of range. It was the Fujifilm's XE4, the fourth uh, iteration of their XE cameras. Uh, and the XE1 was the, um, the first Fuji 
um, interchangeable lens camera that I actually bought. Um, I like the uh, XE format uh, with its rangefinder style viewfinder, which is to one side of the camera. So let's just read about the XE4. Its um, price for a body only with WEX is listed at 799. Um, it uses the 26.1 megapixel X-Trans CMOS 4 sensor uh, and the X-Processor 4 processing engine. Um, it's basically, um, in my opinion, the sort of uh, one of the two bread and butter ranges. Uh, they tend to do the XT range and the XE range for sort of the um, so you've got things like XT20, XT30 and you'd have things like the XE3 and the XE4 uh, it's I, it's the sort of camera I like you know, it is small, lightweight there's very few buttons on it um, but what it has got is very reminiscent of using say the Fuji X100 um, but basically it's, it's an update it's an update to the XC3 with um a few better video features, a little bit better focusing and a slightly redesigned body and the newer sensor inside it. Would this be something of interest? Me? No, not really, to be honest. I, I much prefer the XT lineup, the design, the shape. Um, for me, the handling on an XT version is is where I am. I mean, I shoot the XT2. Um, Um, in somewhat respects, I would like an XT4, but I think given the current circumstances, I'm I'm pretty glad that I haven't traded up anything in my camera kit. Um, and I, you know, I'll probably wait until an XT5 comes out before I even consider purchasing. Um, it fills a, it fills a, a market. Um, you know, it, it, as you say, it's a nice compact small camera. It's like a pocket camera, um, so probably great for street photography and and. Sh- shooting in that elk um i think for me yeah i tend not to shoot prime so much and i use zooms because i shoot a lot of varied stuff so i would probably put a, a zoom lens on it which kind of defeats the purpose of its size and format so mm. um you know i've got a, a small uh, compact one inch camera that i use for traveling which has got a fixed lens but it's 24 to 300 mil so it's ideal for travel um this is something yes would be great for travel but i think it limits you in terms of you'd only have one lens on it maybe a 50 mil um but that's not the style of shooting i I would do i think no but i think if you're thinking about doing street photography or documentary photography something like that where you want a small discrete camera uh then this gives you that in uh, a package which has an interchangeable lens. Absolutely. So, because like I said, so my first foray into the X series with Fuji was with the X100. Uh, and then I bought an XE1 because after using the X100 for about a year, year and a half, um, I, I did struggle sometimes where I was thinking I could just do with a little bit of a wider angle or I could just do with a little bit more telephoto than the built in lens that comes with it. So the XE1 was, you know, was my first step into the uh, Fuji um, mirrorless ecosystem. Uh, and this looks like a, a very worthy successor to that. And to be honest, if I was doing street nowadays, which I must admit I haven't done much recently because I don't leave the house, but um, I think something like this 
makes more sense to me than buying something like the X100. Um, yeah, I mean, d- definitely if, if you're a Fuji fan and you've got a range of Fuji cameras, which means you've got a range of lenses, um, it's a great addition to that portfolio. I think the only difference between the XC100 and this is do you need the higher spec for what you're shooting? Um, and obviously it comes at a price point of around £700, so it's it's a significant investment for something that unless you're shooting a lot of um, street photography, perhaps some architecture where you want, uh, you know, you've only got one lens on it and you've got a, a plan of what you're shooting, um, then it, it is a great camera. Um, for me, I just I just think it doesn't work as a camera uh, for my needs. But that's not to say that uh, if somebody gave me one, I wouldn't add it to my portfolio. Well, just to, for comparison, the price of a new Fujifilm X100B is one thousand two hundred ninety-nine pound, and this is seven hundred ninety-nine pound without yeah, a lens. Comparing it against the higher end, sorry, I was thinking of the you know the lower end of the range. The what is it? The um, uh, well, I was thinking about this as being you know if you're if you're thinking about buying an X100V for street photography, the only thing which the X100V has, which this doesn't, is that optical viewfinder. You know, the, the uh, XE4 doesn't have the optical viewfinder; it's purely digital viewfinder. But apart from that, it has you know, um, it, it's it's a very similar camera and similar design. To what you're getting with the X100V, but at a significantly cheaper price. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest, if you're shooting, you know, street photography, do you tend to use a viewfinder or the the screen on the back of it? If you want to be more discreet, probably oh, the screen's I, I, easier. I, I must admit, I, I used to do a lot of uh, shooting from the hip. Actually, well, so I wasn't exactly. Using so you know, <laughs> is an extra four hundred quid worth a, a viewfinder? I don't know. It depends. Mm, no. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, but but it's it's good to see, you know, that it's actually been released because a few years ago there was a lot of talk about the XE range being dropped from Fuji's lineup because it it doesn't have the same broad market appeal that they say the XT20 or the XT30 does. Uh, but I, I'm really pleased to see that uh, there's been a new iteration of that announced. Well, that's well. it. I mean, I think if if Fuji yeah. can keep a common platform on the internals and it's just the bodies that they vary mm. um, then you know that that cuts your development costs it allows you to widen the range without such a significant cost and we'll come on to some of the other manufacturers um, and talk about their their offerings but I think if you can get commonality of the internals the software the processors um, then it, it allows Fuji to offer a, a wider range of price points and uh, style of shape that will suit more people's needs um, you know and I think that's one thing that's different from Fuji to Sony as we were talking about is that you know Sony have got one sort of shape of camera f- across their alpha range mm. uh, Fuji are offering you know four or five different cameras in different price points but also shapes yeah that's true because they, they released the XS10 um, last year and that was basically uh, very much targeted at people which have been traditional uh, DSLR shooters as being a stepping stone into the Fuji ecosystem without uh, having too much of a learning gap because it it looks and operates 
much more like a traditional DSLR. Whereas uh, a lot of the Fuji's uh, work much more with dials and manual controls on the outside of a camera rather than popping into menus and doing it through uh, choices made in a, in, a, in a menu structure, which is quite common with some of the other manufacturers. All right, so that, that's it as far as new camera bodies announcements uh, we've seen recently go. Uh, there have been some new uh, lens announcement, but I'm not going to get into that because we've got quite a lot to get through today. Um, January also sh uh, had the um, first time, I think it was, where the CES um, 2021 was actually virtual. So rather than having a big consumer electronic show where you could go around all the booths and see what new tech all the companies were releasing, they did it all virtually instead. Now, there wasn't much in the way of camera tech being shown off at CES, but uh, Sony were there, and what they did show was their first foray into the uh, world of drones with their Air Peak drone, which uh, we were talking just a second ago about the fact that they tend to have one body design for their um, small a7r type cameras um, and, and this is basically a quadcopter which can hold one of those cameras and the lenses <laughs> so you can uh, attach an a7s3 and uh, then use this drone to um, film it now it, it is just a quadcopter um, which is it, it's a lot of money to have up in the air with just four blades holding it aloft. Now, I know that DJI have a larger drone that can hold a camera as well, but that's a six-blade um, drone. So basically, what that means is that if a blade, if, if one of the propellers fails, the, cam the uh, drone can still safely land. Whereas with this one, if a, if a um, propeller on this one uh, fails, that's a lot of money to come plummeting out of the sky. Um, it, it's it's interesting to see Sony uh, moving into the drone market because it means that there's going to be uh, more competition for the you know big players like DJI. But um, you know, I, I I would be worried about using something like this to uh, put a D uh, something like an A7 S3 and lens up in the air. Um, but you know. We'll see. I suppose if your insurance covers it, you're okay. What do you reckon? Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, what cameras, what camera options from the Alpha range it can carry. And as you say, you know, if you lose one of the blades, or, or um, whether or not it can still fly or safely land, at least, you know, a controlled descent, if nothing else. Um, even if it can't return home, at least it'll control the control its descent. Um, I think you know, from Sony's point of view, I think it is a smart move. There's a lot more yeah. uh, people buying drones to do aerial photography and uh, videography. It's becoming an expanding market. Um, and I think the fact that if you can get uh, a camera a camera system with a drone system, um, it's going to be a good package for, for Sony, as well as Sony's presence in the filmmaking industry. Uh, you know, traditionally, you'll have used, used a helicopter for a lot of scenes. The fact that you could now use a drone with a Sony camera and have Sony across the board, I think it's going to be interesting. Mm. Um, and obviously, um, as they develop bigger and bigger models to c cater for offsetting that risk, as you say, of losing a 
losing a propeller or, or, or uh, something failing um, and you know bigger cameras will be available onto it as well so it's going to be interesting I, I mean I noticed there wasn't a price posted on the article that uh, we were looking at no so I, I think it's still still early days for this um, and and we'll have to see more details closer to uh, its release date I do notice though that it I think it has dual batteries so if there's a battery failure then it can still safely return to base or safely land but um, you know the, the, the quad um, propeller uh, is slightly concerning it's got a, a, a very uh, interesting landing gear basically it's uh, once it's um, taken off its landing gear is raised so that it doesn't appear in the shots from the uh, from the camera um, there's also talk that the actual drone itself has its own camera as well so you could have uh, the pilot of the drone using one camera to see where it's flying how it's flying whereas a second person is controlling the camera which is uh, slung from the belly of a drone so it's interesting uh, but like I said this is just seems to be a first step into the drone market so it will be very very interesting to see exactly where they go with this I'm looking forward to see what what actually comes out and uh, how Sony progress with drones in the future but it's definitely interesting yeah I mean it's definitely a, a drone for the photographer videographer professional uh, footage capture rather than you know somebody buying a drone for a hobby and and you know the photography side of it is perhaps oh, yeah. the secondary this is very much designed around capturing those images and the technology bundled around it uh, you know this would be sort of Top Gear following a car, driving up or down a windy moat, uh, mountain path. Yeah, and all exactly. That stuff, um, or, you know, or uh, winter sports or anything that's kind of over a distance where traditionally they would have used a helicopter. Uh, you know, rental and, and cost for a helicopter are around about 1500 to £2,000 an hour, um, plus mm. all of the hassle for it. Whereas, you know, you can tr- travel with a drone in the back of a car stick it up in the air do your shots bring it back again and, and away you go so i think it does add a lot of flexibility for those sorts of events um but obviously you know as we saw with the was it the winter olympics where the drone just dropped out of the sky and nearly hit the skier oh, um, yes. i think yeah. it's got to be used in a careful uh controlled and planned manner um, but the fact it's got dual cameras one for capturing footage and the other one for visibility and and piloting i think is great um and you know the raising of the legs again that's another point of failure perhaps but it does give you that whole 360 degree spin that is critical for that type of work yeah i think like i said it's just going to be interesting to see where sony take this in the future Uh, i think yeah it's a stepping stone for sure Let's go to some other general news, and we'll start off with Canon. Now, um, this was originally a story from Canon Canon Rumours, but it would appear that um, originally it looked like there was going to be lots and lots of new cameras coming from Canon in 2021. Um, But it looks now as if that's probably not going to happen. Um, I think they're now talking about maybe something coming in the second half of 2021 and a lot of people are saying that will probably be the EOS R1 which will be their mirrorless answer to the 1DX Mark III so as we were saying before 1DX Mark III is Canon's 
top of the range camera um but it's not mirrorless so we're talking about looking at a, a mirrorless replacement for the um 1dx mark iii but it, it sounds like now that's um not going to be coming up until later on in the year and it, it, it's it's the usual problems um there's problems with um the whole uh, supply chain and that is uh, still a knock-on effect from the pandemic so you know it's it's it is what it is you know <laughs> various manufacturers are having to make amendments to the fact that they can't do uh, and, and follow their original original plans for the year. I mean, I, I, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, manufacturing has been impacted by the virus and and, and the transportation lines between manufacturing to to sale. I think the other thing, obviously, is sales have dipped because nobody's using their cameras, or not so many people. Yeah. You know, the professionals aren't. Um, you know, there's not as much professional football, rugby, sports going on. There's not as much, um, you know, news is still going on, but people aren't shipping people around the world to cover news stories as, as they were. So I think the knock-on effect of that, obviously, is people aren't breaking their cameras. People aren't needing to renew their cameras as much as they were over the last period. So from that perspective, does one balance out with the other? So even if they'd sorted the uh, production runs and the shipping, would there be a marketplace for them to sell it into? Well, the funny thing is, our next story is the fact that several uh, news um, sites in Japan are reporting that the largest camera retailers uh, in Japan are all recording, actually, that the best-selling camera in December was the Canon EOS R5. And apparently, um, Canon. This is actually uh, it's, it, the camera's done better than Canon were expecting the R5 to do. So you know, it's <laughs> it's their top of the line currently um, mirrorless camera, and its um, sales have done well. Now, part of that could well be because there were supply chain disruptions before December. So people waiting and wanted to get hold of the R5. Uh, couldn't get hold of them until then. So, uh, you know, part of that could well be to do that. I mean... Uh, uh, we're looking at uh, Yodabashi's uh, listing. After the R5, the, the second best-selling camera in December was the A7C, Sony's A7C. And the third best-selling camera was Sony's A7S. So it looks like Sony is still doing quite well, you know, um, in the top 10, they hold one, two, three, four five of the spots in the top 10 are all held by sony for best-selling cameras in uh, december well, i think i think that's probably because a lot more people are now doing um youtubes everybody's setting up a youtube channel or <laughs> doing a tiktok or you know or doing something else um and you know a lot of the models that we know are now because of the extended lockdown and the lack of ability of shoots are starting to do mm. remote shooting so in the past whereas in the past yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't necessarily have got a camera and they would use their iPhone or whatever else. Um, they're now starting to invest in the camera technology that we would buy um, to support their yeah. their yeah. ability to model, not necessarily because they want the camera, but it gives them that ability to continue shooting and generating income. So I think exactly. there is a marketplace yeah. for that element, sure. I think the other thing, perhaps, is people aren't going out and spending as much money. So there uh, and because of maybe perhaps the supply chain issues 
they're waiting and therefore able to afford the better camera that they wouldn't have otherwise bought initially. So, you know, if if, yeah, if they're waiting yeah. six months, that's another, I don't know, a few hundred pounds maybe that they can then spend on their camera. So instead of going for the bottom end of the market or the middle end of the market, they're now in seeing it as an opportunity to go to the higher end. Um, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the second um, best-selling after the EOS R5, as I said, was the Sony A7C. Now, that is the new entry level for Sony's A7 range. But it is outselling their A6000 range cameras. So, uh, you know, it, it's... Um, it's a case of is is that what's happening? Are they looking at you know we've got an option now of shooting full frame, so we don't need to um, need to to do an investment in the uh, APS-C sensors anymore. Yeah, I mean I think it's a dynamic marketplace for sure. Uh, one is technology is changing that marketplace, the supply chain is changing that marketplace, and obviously COVID and the restrictions that are put in place on people's activities and movement. Um, both in terms of what they can shoot, but also their finances, um, is having a, is changing that marketplace, and I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, actually, leading on from this, where we're talking about the uh, mirrorless um, cameras, uh, Sigma uh, had a, uh, were interviewed and said that they confirmed that RF and Z mount lenses are a possibility. Um, because people were saying, you know, you're, you're not releasing uh, lenses for these cameras yet. You know, it, it's it's all uh, in-house lenses which are currently coming out for RF and uh, Z-mount lenses. Now, they did put uh, a little bit of a clarification, shall we say, on the fact they said it's a possibility. Um, their factories are currently working at maximum. Uh, anyway for their, their existing range of lenses so they don't currently have the capacity to m- announce any new uh, lenses for RF or Z mount at the moment but I, I, I think it is literally just a matter of time before you know, as more of these mirrorless um, Canon and Nikon cameras get out there in the market then you, you can see that uh, companies like Sigma are going to start manufacturing lenses for those and maybe uh, reduce their uh, <clears throat> the number of lenses they're making for the DSLR mounts because you know if if Canon and Nikon are selling less of the DSLR mounts cameras, then there's going to be less demand for the lenses for it. Um, and whether they close the range or whether they just stop developing as much, I think is probably where they'll do. They'll probably still sell the same range, but whether they'll invest as much in the development of new software or new releases. Um, for the traditional DSLR will be interesting. I think it's not just the the size and the uh, compatibility that that needs to be considered for the Canon R and the Nikon Z in as much as the technology and the software and how the the, ca- the lenses work is very different. Mm. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, a lot, oh, yeah, a yeah. lot more in-body stabilization with the mirrorless cameras, which means that there's a lot more interaction um, with the lens software than there is on a traditional DSLR, which, uh, and, and if Canon and Nikon have been quite protective of that interface uh, requirements and software, it's going to be difficult for Sigma to to engineer. So from that perspective, mm. 
they see the challenge um, and it's probably right that they're focusing on their traditional market if they've got um, if they've got still got a market to do and I wonder how many people are moving away from the Nikkor and the Canon lenses are moving to Sigma I know you know obviously they're cheaper and better quality perhaps than some of the lenses so they've still got an option to be selling traditionally um, and at the same time they can't move into the mirrorless le- uh, range for Nikon and Canon because they, they may, may not know the techni- technic- uh, technical software interactions that it, they need. It will probably take some time to be reverse engineered that's what normally happens with uh... Yeah, Uh, and it might be that actually, I don't know, we can only speculate, but I guess uh, Canon and Nikon will be quite protective of it. Yeah, well, let's talk about, we've talked about Canon a bit, but let's talk about Nikon a bit, because there's been a few interesting things coming out of Nikon, and they're not particularly good news. Let's start with Nikon UK, who uh, put an announcement up on their website saying, please note that as we navigate the changes brought on by Brexit, we will temporarily not be taking any new orders. If you have already placed an order with us, we are working hard to ensure your order arrives as soon as possible. Thank you for bearing with us during this time. So basically, this is uh, talking about there's, they're facing issues with uh, bringing items into the country um, because of Brexit. Um, and during the time when they're trying to sort this out, uh, they aren't taking any orders on their own website. So look, what looks like is happening is that as um, goods are delivered to the UK, retailers are getting priority over Nikon's own website. So they're still trying to supply the retailers as quickly as they possibly can. And then once that's sorted out, then they'll be going back and um, sorting out what they've got to offer themselves directly? Um, Well, I guess it depends on how they're fulfilling the orders Um, because Brexit's only really making a difference for those uh, shipping from within the EU to UK. So from that perspective... Well, I imagine imagine what's happened is that you'll get a whole big shipment come in to a port somewhere in Europe and then be split up to sent on to individual countries. That's what I imagine is happening, and I imagine that that port is not in the no. UK, but it's somewhere else no. within so, the uh, and, and the the issue around shipping into the UK is the person receiving the uh, the goods is responsible for the VAT plus any import duties, which then Can puts it, it. It depends on what agreement you got, because that's what I'm sorting out with my other job at the moment. Um, is the fact that you can you get agents involved and it. it uh, and part of the contract can be the uh, shipper's um, or the person that's shipping you the goods responsibility to sort it out with the agent rather than you sorting yeah, out which yourself. is fine but, when you're um, talking you know. tens of thousands or large items when you're talking individual customer yeah, exactly. items that's not an option oh no so, no. so from that no, perspective no, 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 no. no these will be coming as these will be coming in as big yeah, yeah. so so, know, so, the, so that um, that's where the um, you know they can sell to retailers and, and do it through that way, but selling to individual customers um, from a European distribution hub, which Nikon will have, is not going to be an option at the moment. Mm. Um, no, which is why they're spending yeah. orders from their own website. Um, um, so not particularly good news for Nikon, and things don't get um, that much better, to be honest. Well, I was just, be- before, we leave, before was... we leave that, in terms of, um, ah, you know, okay. obviously Nikon have said this, um, it's going to happen for a lot of um, 
other technical technology. Um, if you look at Western Digital, they they ship their um, hard drives from a Dutch, uh, sorry, the Netherlands. So from that perspective, mm. you know, if you've got uh, hard drives or uh, even memory cards that you want to purchase directly from Western Digital, the, the same situation will be having. So I think it's going to be a challenge for the next, certainly the next couple of months in terms of how Brexit's going to impact us in the UK wanting to purchase anything really technology related yeah and to be honest I, I have been reading but some people are being caught out because they think they're buying from a uk website and they're not you know it might be a .co.uk site but at the end of the day they're buying from somewhere else somewhere in europe and they're still then getting hit with uh, the duty and the vat charges when the items um come through to the uk yeah and the problem is you know the vat at 20 percent um but then obviously because you haven't uh uh, got the systems in place to actually pay for it what royal mail and all of the dhl ups fedex or whoever are hitting you with an admin charge so um oh absolutely you know, uh, yeah. same happened for me i got a delivery from uh from europe you know uh, the cost of vat was about a few quid then you hit with another uh, uh eight quid for a management cost so you, you know that items just cost you another 16 20 quid um, and on, you know what, and that's for an order below £135. Once you start going above £135, you've then got import duties to pay. So, you know, Absolutely. when you think yeah. in a camera, a thousand, two thousand upwards, it's going to add a significant amount of money to 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 it. So, yeah, mm. things are interesting at the moment. But um, if you're thinking, well, I'll just buy my Nikon uh, lenses or camera from somewhere outside the EU, I'll get them straight from um, a site in China or Japan, uh, they've um, decided that they're no longer going to offer international warranties for their interchangeable lenses and accessories, which is something they've been done, they've been doing. Uh, and to be honest, something I was surprised about because I, was, I wouldn't have thought that in these days where companies are trying to cut out um, grey imports, that uh, they would still be offering uh, international warranties on their products. Um, yeah, I mean, the one well, reading it, 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 it's a bit. They've left it a bit ambiguous for certain areas, but it seems mm. you can buy it with and without an international warranty. Um, so there's still an option to buy an international warranty, but then it. Well, no, I think what it, I think, I think what we're saying is that um, until now they've been offering international warranties. So if you're buying something. Because I think basically there'll still be products out there which had the international warranty as part of their purchase, but they haven't actually been sold yet. So retailers will have them, and they'll be selling them on with the. There'll be a transitional period, well, basically. Yeah. But I don't. I don't. I don't think they're going to be offering it as an ongoing proposal. Well, yeah. um, it's just. It's just this. This interim period when there's products out there with international warranties that haven't actually been sold by retailers. Yeah, I mean, and the well, yeah, I mean that's obviously. Um, to be cleared up because it, it the the article does read both ways for me um and the other the other right. gray area is it does refer to the shipping destination so mm. how does that work if you're buying a gray import because technically if it, the shipping destination is the uk and you bought it from china then you know the warranty you would expect would be covered by uk but then in a separate uh, reference it says it won't be so i think it's interesting that they're stopping the international warranty um but it's interchangeable lenses and accessories it doesn't mention cameras so 
Um, no, no, you're right. It's it is interchangeable lenses and accessories. Yeah, uh, it's mixed messages. I, I, I'd be surprised they were still offering it. To be honest, because I, I, you know uh, most manufacturers now, it's it's a return to um, the warranty is where you purchased from. You know, so uh, if you buy something from China, China's where your warranty sits at. Um, so you know, I was surprised they were still doing it. I'm not surprised that they're deciding to suspend it. Um, yeah, I mean, well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think ultimately for me it's confused what they're putting out. Obviously they're trying to protect their costs um, and reduce their exposure oh, to yeah. ongoing losses. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's... Which is, which is to be honest, our, our last story about Nikon, which is the fact that um, they're blaming their, um, so we say, financial problems on a deflated camera market which has been affecting all the manufacturers and COVID-19 but um, it's huge uh, they're looking at an anticipated historical loss of $720 million um, for, you know, which is remarkable <laughs> um, they had a deficit of 46.6 billion yen which is $449 million uh, in the period of April to September of last year, uh, which, you know, when you consider that in the same period in 2019, uh, they were making profits. So um, it looks bad. It doesn't look good at all. Um, what they, so, you know, it's, it's, it's hardly surprising that they're trying to uh, cut costs wherever they can. Um, there is talk that they're going to, reduce or pull out of the DSLR market and perhaps just concentrate on mirrorless to try and shore it up because mirrorless is where they're showing sales um, but it's it's a big it's a big change uh, but it's big losses they're huge losses yeah uh, but, um, but, but putting it in how are you going to turn that know, around uh, in comparison Canon made a profit in the same period not a huge profit absolutely but... so did Sony so did Fuji yeah. so I think blaming it on on COVID or the marketplace is not a justif- justifiable. I think blaming it on their product mm. lineup is probably more accurate. You know, people are moving away there's from. There's definitely something going wrong, isn't there, when you're comparing it to uh, Canon and Sony? You know, you look at you look at what they're offering. They're offering a good portfolio of cameras, where different price points with different quality and different target areas. Um, you know, you look at Nikon. Uh, yeah, it's it's not the same, and, and therefore you know they're losing out on that basis. Mm. Um, you know, are, are they investing in improving their technology? Are they investing in the higher end cameras? Well, they say that they they do say that even though uh, they're facing these huge losses, it will not affect them investing in R and D. Is it li- too little, too late? That's what they say. Oh well, uh, but they're also now trying to focus more on professional and high amateurs uh, because they say that's for part of a market which is still expanding rather than the rest of the market which is shrinking. Well, that's it. So you, what we're probably going to see is more top-end mirrorless cameras coming from them. But does that give people the stepping stone to step into their range from the beginning? If, they're, if they pull out of a DSLR, DSLR market and then they're concentrating on high-end mirrorless cameras, they've, they've got a huge base of users at the moment 
but you still need to be adding you know new people in at the bottom don't well, that's you? it i mean i think the bottom end of the market or the camera market is a shrinking one because camera phones get better mm. and better people are stopping buying cheaper cameras because the, the, the camera phone will do just as good a job but as you say you know those people that want to move away from a camera phone and move into understanding how to use a camera how to use light how to use all of these controllable features that are a dslr low to mid-range will allow you you're then jumping up from instead of buying a camera a couple of hundred pounds uh, body only you know maybe 600 pounds with a canon kit or a, or a nikon kit you're then looking at buying something that's the semi-pro end at a few thousand plus lenses so it is yeah. going to be you know i think there is going to be a widening of that gap from the low end to the higher end as people move away from investing in cheap cameras but then um, there needs to be something to fill that gap you know there's got to be interchangeable cameras at a price point of a few hundred pounds to allow people to move from you know their iPhone or their um, you know other camera camera phones into into being able to take photos that you control Mm, yeah um, yeah so it's a challenge it's, it's going to be a very difficult year for nikon and it'll be interesting to see how they survive but it is going to be very challenging for them that's for sure well i mean that's it you know as as, as we as, as other industries have consolidated um it depends on the technology it'd be interesting to see if if their actual technology that underpins their cameras is of interest to one of the other manufacturers yeah well yes it's interesting to see what's happening with the olympus um and and what will come out of their um buyout um but anyway that's we're getting i've just realized how we're getting on time so we'll just have one last story before we round it up for this week and that is to do with the fact that a new press photographer has been announced for the white house with our uh, new president in the US, we have a new photographer, and that is a chap by the name of Adam Schultz. Now, he's the official White House photographer uh, after serving as the campaign's official photographer. Um, I think a lot of people have seen the photos that Pete Souza took when he was the photographer for Obama. Uh, and they're always uh, fascinating to see because it, it, he gave a real behind-the-scenes images of what life was like for the president and uh, how everything went on at the White House. But while Trump was in office, all you'd get to see were, um, you know, the um, stage group shoots, uh, often with him, you know, giving them a thumbs up, <laughs> um, which wasn't particularly of any interest to anybody. Uh, so with Adam Schultz back in it it looks like it's going to be back to the days of more uh, documentary style uh, photography he takes the um, more traditional uh, formal photos as well but um, it's he's available on Instagram if you want to follow him so I would recommend giving him a look up and uh, and seeing what he's uh, what he's been taking like like I said he was on the on uh, Biden's um, campaign so there's lots of pictures up from that as well so well worth a look if you're uh, you've got the time. Have you had a look yet? No, I've not. Uh, and to be honest, kind of tried to stay out of the American politics whole uh, <laughs> whole situation. So um, yeah, I mean, I think 
I guess the you know there's the official photos which are see, taken under staged yeah, but, and but did you see Pete Souza's um, pictures when he was taking pictures of Obama? Yeah, I did see some of them, and I, I think it's interesting that um, that there is a behind the scenes and that it's more sort of reportage stroke, kind of street photography stroke, you know, re- relaxed informal photos. Um, you know that that gives you a sense of what's going on behind the scenes. You know these these publicised, uh, well organised uh, photos are great. Um, and you know at the end of the day, there's probably three or four different people taking those same images. Um, you know, being the pre- inside the White House every day, being able to have access. Um, you know, and doing that sort of documentary behind the scenes, I think is good. Um, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to yeah. see how open Bidden and, and the rest of the team are to grant the access to be able to for him to take those photos because it's one thing to say we're doing it this is what we're doing but actually will be interesting to see what photos come out as we go through his yeah his presidency because it will be yeah yeah because obviously obama gave a lot of access uh complete uh, free access by this from what i understand um and um it is true to say that adam has had from what i can see good access to the actual campaign so let's hope that does transition to being, you know, open air access to uh, the president as well. Now he's in office. Um, uh, something to watch out for, that's for sure. Cool. Right. OK, well, that should bring us to the end of this week's show. Thank you very much for joining me, Dimitri. And we'll hopefully be doing another news roundup at this time next month. But otherwise, take a look at our website to uh, see what other shows we have to offer and give us a like and subscribe and if you've got any questions please post them in either our facebook groups or you can leave an audio message that we can play back on the show and i'll speak to you again soon bye you have been listening to the creatives photography podcast for more information about us visit our website at creatives.photography And don't forget to subscribe. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great day.